Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Confabulation. Confabulation is hosted by Our Sisters House, where we provide advocacy, education, and support to survivors of domestic violence. If you are in need of supportive services, please go to our website at OurSistersHouse.com or give us a call at 253-383-4275. So today, my name is Gabe, and I'm an advocate with Our Sisters House, and I'm joined here by Jill, our legal advocate, and Amanda, our intern from Brandman University. And today we're gonna kind of talk about unions. And this conversation kind of came up um, when we were talking about how um, unions could benefit underprivileged minority workers. And, you know, I was just kind of curious about, you know, what exactly unions do and the pros and cons of unions. And Amanda had, Amanda had talked about her experience with them. So we thought it would be, you know, a good time to talk about it just because of, you know, the situations that are going on in, with Amazon and Alabama. Um, and kind of all over the country with unemployment and wages and different things like that. So I'm going to pass it to Amanda and kind of just ask you to kind of give us just kind of a brief, you know, what exactly do unions do? What are their purpose? You know, what is the history of unions? All right. Well, thanks for having me as a guest. And so unions are beneficial to workers because it gives workers more control over their wages, their benefits, pensions, um, their work environment. Um, when workers collectively unite to um, petition their employers for things that they need, um, they have a better chance of getting them than individual workers would. So just some like quick stats. Um, Unions raise wages of unionized workers by roughly 20% and raise compensation, including both wages and benefits by about 28%. Um, unions reduce, reduce wage inequality because they raise wages more for low and middle wage workers than for higher wage workers, more for blue collar than for white collar workers and more for workers who do not have a college degree. Um, Strong unions set a pay standard that non-union employers follow. For example, a high school graduate whose workplace is not unionized, but whose industry is, 25% unionized is paid 5% more than similar workers in less unionized industries. Um, and that's just like some quick examples of some benefits. I mean, I know right now with the looming possibility of inflation, having better wages is definitely a must. Um, and then I was just gonna speak like on some personal experiences um, that I've had with unions or that family members have had. Um, did you guys have any questions about what I just went over? No, I, I mean, I like hearing the more positive things about unions because like we were discussing kind of you and I, Amanda, about my union when I worked for the state was crap. Um, <laughs> and I just never, well, well, it was, was kind they're useless. Um, but um, I, I just never had a good, you know, um, sense of unions. Every union I've belonged to Um, 
you know, government unions, and I've never found them to be helpful or worthwhile. Um, but you were explaining to me why, like why, you know, those unions really aren't that effective. But I thought maybe you want to kind of talk about that a little, because a lot of people work for the state or government and are, and, you know, are in the unions or have access to the unions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, just from my personal experience, I haven't done any research on why they're not as good as like a trades union or nurses union. Um, I would think it's just due to the fact that state and government workers already have a lot of benefits that other workers tend to um, collect and bargain for, um, mm -hmm. like wage pay increases as like um, cost of living increases, um, good benefits, retirement, things like that, you know, a lot of workers don't have access to and um, whereas government and state employees tend to have access to that. So I think that the unions, I mean, their job's kind of already done. So maybe that's why they're not as effective at doing anything because they don't really have to. Yeah. Why do you think they feel the need to even implement unions? Because I'm thinking it's for the dues. Like we used to have to pay dues whether we were in the union or not. I don't think it used to be like that, but when I was at the state, that's how it was. You had, they deducted it out of your paycheck, $50 a month. And I was like, why am I paying for this? Mm -hmm. If I don't want to, you know, I just never get why. If we have those already, those benefits that other places need to bargain for and stuff, and we really don't, why do they in, you know, kind of put themselves into government? Is it for the money? I don't get it. I mean, I yeah. just... that I would have to look at the history of state and government unions. Like, why did they get started? What was going on? Typically unions get started because the workers are dealing with the situation or pay or something that isn't fair and equitable. And so they, you know, organize to ask for what they need. So I'm sure at some point in the state or government history, it was needed. Yeah, probably, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so there's definitely cons for unions and you know that's one of them is that some unions just aren't as necessary as others. Um, another one I would say is like the police and teachers union, which protects members who aren't meeting the requirements of their job or who are, you know, who should have been fired. Yeah, that's a big thing. The police union, you know, especially right now in the current climate with the police, you know, police who are being completely negligent are being protected, you know, by those unions and they're not being fired. Um, so that's one type of union that, you know, I think has a little bit too much power um, right now because they're you know, protecting each other and not acknowledging, you know, the gross negligence, you know, that a lot of officers are showing. Mm -hmm. And I would say that that is a cultural thing because there would have to be a shift in culture and, you know, like the workplace culture and things like that, because I know like for the 
union that my husband's a part of, what will happen is that they just won't like employers. So it's kind of like a good old boys club in that like everybody knows everybody. And so if you know someone's a bad worker, they'll lay you off, you'll get put on the books, and then you'll just stay on the books because nobody wants to work with you. Mm. So they kind of like enforce having good workers that way while still keeping the union protections. And that's kind of, I think, what you would have to see in the teachers and police unions. You'd have to see that shift in culture and how they hold each other accountable, which how do you do that? I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's another confabulation, huh? Yeah. <laughs> how do you make bad people act right? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But... So that's one of the cons. And then other people try to claim that it's bad for the economy because you're driving up prices because the employers have to pay their workers more. But if you have workers who are paid more, they have more, you know, consumer power. They can buy more, they could spend more, they can contribute to the economy more, they can pay their taxes, their kids are going to go to college, you know, all these things benefits that you get when you get paid a living wage. So I think it's just employers trying to line their own pockets when they come up with these talking points about why unions are bad. Yeah. Opinion. <laughs> yeah, that especially especially like you said if you're a tradesperson. Mhm. You know, cuz remember <clears throat> like when they used to make things in the United States, I mean we're a service-oriented country. I mean, we don't really make anything anymore. The car industry is gone. Um, just, you know, you know, things we used to make, we mm -hmm. don't anymore. I think some of it's coming back. Um, but those, you know, the automotive industry, that union was really strong and really necessary been too many movies made about it so <laughs> you know like Norma Ray and you know movies like that that kind of take you back to a time when a lot of places and industries were unionized and they were strong mm -hmm. and they were needed and that all changed um I it's think as a, well as a result of like politics so yeah you had these employers and these big corporations wanting to be greedy and so they started coming up with think tanks to petition to to figure out how can we get people to vote against their interests how can we get them to vote against you know i don't know what what it was but i think what happened was that somehow they figured out they could just you know export their company and have it made somewhere else cheaper so they yeah. didn't have the pay union workers and now here we are and people voted on it whatever it was I don't know I'm sure there's some law or something that they voted against um, where companies were allowed to to do that and take away jobs from American workers yeah oh so here we are yeah and especially for jobs like you said if you're not college educated those are blue collar jobs and we need those jobs you know like 
I'm sorry, you know, not everyone wants to go to college. Not everyone um, see, feels the need for a college education and rightly so. I mean, like who's gonna pick up your garbage? You know, people, people don't think about these things on a daily basis, right? Like, yeah. okay, you have these blue collar jobs because they're needed to make the country run. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So who's watching out for their interests? Who's making sure they get the benefits they need and the pay they deserve? Well, that's one thing I hope would come, that I hoped would come out of this pandemic as we realized how many things that we need to make ourselves and how important, I mean, we're, we have a huge shortage of skilled workers right now because yeah. the baby boomers are retiring and we've been pushing college on kids for so long that they're all trying to go to college and rack up all these like student loan debts and then get out and make, you know, maybe 17 bucks an hour. They can't pay back their student loan debt. Meanwhile, we have a shortage of skilled trades workers. And I can tell you like my husband makes more. So I used to work with uh, at the hospital with physical therapists and occupational therapists, people who have to have masters and doctorate level degrees. He makes more than them. Yeah. They have student loan debts. He doesn't have any student loan debt. Yeah. So. Like my, my, um, my brother-in-law and my nephew are both longshoremen. You know, they make, they make way more money than me. I have a master's degree, um, but they do labor work, you know, and they make buku bucks. Um, but that's hard work and they should. Yeah they should be making you know money like that labor hard labor is hard work mm -hmm. so yeah. do you would you say so a lot of people are talking about raising the minimum wage and doing unskilled jobs like maybe say working at walmart or you know working at mcdonald's um you know would you say they deserve 15 dollars an hour to cover that cost of living yeah I used to be in retail. I mean, I spent most, before I got my master's degree, went back to school. I, that was what I did was retail, you know, and it, it, um, while I made more money than most people in retail, just because of the type of retail I did and where I did it, um, you, I mean, most people I worked with could barely live you know, um, they're being badgered about their sales and, you know, these sales goals and you got to do this and you got to do that. You're on your feet all day. You deal with people, you know, when they're bad attitudes all day. <laughs> I mean, it's not easy work. They deserve that too. Just because you work at Walmart doesn't mean you don't deserve a, a living wage, you know. Hey, um, I wouldn't want to work at Walmart, but I go to Walmart and buy stuff. I wouldn't want to work at McDonald's, but I'll go buy a chicken sandwich. Who's going to serve it to me? <laughs> you know, these, it's the same thing as I was saying earlier about people that pick up your gar garbage. We need these types of workers and they deserve a living wage. They deserve to be able to go out and get at an apartment, um, or buy a house or buy a car, 
and yeah yeah well at the very least their wage should keep up with inflation exactly yeah i totally agree and uh the way things are being inflated now because of covid and we're kind of coming back um it is rising really really fast mm-hmm. uh, yeah yeah. My only concern, though, would be like those places like Amazon and Walmart just completely automating everything and getting rid of those workers, you know, because in the long term, you know, you're going to be a lot better off like those Amazon grocery stores that don't even have cashiers. They just have people pretty much stocking the shelves and that's about it. Everything else is just completely automated and on your phone. Um, so, you know, that's my concern and that will lead to less jobs. Um, so, you know, I don't know, you know, I think you kind of have to walk kind of a fine line because ultimately if you try to push like places like Amazon to do something that they don't want to do, they're going to find a way to do, you know, what they want to do. And that's basically what's kind of been happening, like in Seattle, like them just moving their warehouses to a different spot because, you know, Seattle threatened to impose, you know, a tax. So they just said, okay, we're going to move. And then you guys are going to lose these 30,000 jobs that you already have. So, you know, I see that as a, you know, big barrier, um, raising the minimum wage. There's a lot of other things that can be, you know, the fallout effects of it. Well, the problem is they're going to do that anyway. They're going to automate, like that is where we're going workers I mean honestly the American worker also has to take responsibility for preparing for the inevitable which is that we will so by it was supposed to happen by 2019 that four million unskilled jobs like retail and things like that were going to be automated four million people were going to be out of work like they've been talking about it for a while now well look at what happened during COVID though too so you couldn't go into the stores to shop, just say, I want to buy pants, shirts, coats, whatever. This huge explosion of online shopping. I mean, we had a lot of online shopping prior, but during COVID, it just exploded. And um, and so, yeah, I agree. It, you have to, you do have to put some of the responsibility on those workers because you need to see what's coming down the pipeline and adjust to it. And because it's gonna it's not that nothing is gonna stop it from happening I agree Amanda yeah I think it's like that movie hidden figures when they saw that they were about to have their job taken away through automation so they had to learn how to be programmers and I think that that's great and that's that's that would be ideal if workers were able to take that responsibility on the problem is is access to training, access yeah. to to these skills. And, you know, I don't see the unions, well, I don't see a big push, you know, with outreach and education and things like that to push people into these skilled trades that we need so desperately. I don't see that happening. And yeah. it needs to, like we as a society need to take some responsibility as well. Like, do we want to continue to have an increase in addiction and homelessness and domestic violence and all these things that often are related to financial issues. Like if we want to prevent those from getting worse when these 4 million people are out of work, we need to invest in training them and getting them employed in a living wage job. Yeah, 
Yeah, and you know, <laughs> our country is so the um, education system is so monetized, um, and they, you know, when I went over to Europe. And I have friends from Europe, you know, and their education was free. You know, they, they have free education. They get to go to college free. They can get their master's or a PhD free. And we're sitting up here making people pay and go in debt for it. And so the, the um, even training programs now cost a lot of money, you know, so you know, where's the incentive to go? People are like, I don't want all that debt. But then on, it's kind of a catch 22 because you got to do something to keep up. And mm -hmm. the United States isn't offering free education for anyone at, on any level. Yeah. So, yeah. So that plays into it too. Yeah, I was in, I was stationed in Germany and I like what they did where you had to serve two years in the military or two years in social services of some kind. Yeah. Yep. And then your education was paid for. Yeah. I don't know if that type of paradigm shift can even happen here now because the education system is so ridiculously over bloated and expensive and it's a business not really about your education it's about business you know so these universities and stuff so but I noticed that when I was in grad school I noticed I started noticing it when I was in um, undergrad but then it really became apparent in grad school you know like mm -hmm. geez you can't even get loans in grad school you get no loans I mean excuse me grants you can mm -hmm. take all the loans out you want. Um, but yeah, that all plays into all of this, you know, it's all intersecting. It is. I mean, you know, a lot of these employers, you know, like Jeff Bezos, a lot of the, these companies that have gotten rich have gotten rich off the backs of workers because workers aren't imposing any type of, you know, control over these companies so they're just allowed to become more and more bloated and as they become more and more bloated they become more powerful at you know petitioning our government in their favor and taking more you know rights and stuff away from not just workers but everyone in america yeah that's kind of how i see it for the big corporations, you know, a lot of people, they always say that, you know, if that minimum wage increases, that the prices are going to have to increase substantially, you know, but the kind of the way that I look at it is why are you paying your CEO $200 million compared to, you know, just raising, you know, some of your workers wages up a couple bucks an hour. Um, so like in reality, you should pay your CEO a lot less or those upper executives should be making a lot less and you know make the wages of your actual core group of workers who are doing you know all that labor you know they're the ones who you know should deserve to be compensated and i think you know that's why you know those places like walmart or target or you know amazon are just so you know against unions um you know because they you know basically are abusing their workers um you know, unions can be like a way for workers to leverage you know against those abuses by you know the management 
Um, and, you know, having those benefits, you know, taken away, pays low, you know, workers are pressured to, you know, work off the clock, you know, different things like that. Whereas, you know, when you're a union, you know, you can be protected from those things if you make a report. Um, but when management, you know, when they care about their employees, like I kind of think about, you know, Costco, you know, I've always heard that Costco is a really, you know, great place to work at because they actually care about their employees. So there's really no need for them to have a union at Costco because they pay them well, they treat them well, um, and everybody's, you know, kind of happy. Um, so, you know, that's just kind of, you know, my thought, you know, the big corporations, I feel like are the ones that, you know, need those unions. But I kind of wanted to ask you, you know, to talk about what's happening with Amazon um, and Alabama and how did that, you know, all come about? Yeah, well, that's a great example of how powerful these companies are getting because so in Bessemer, Alabama, the Amazon workers tried to unionize um, back in March and it started with a couple of disgruntled employees um, who were upset about the um, work environment and the conditions and the way that they required them to do their job. So they have this thing called time on task where they monitor everything that you do every second that you Yeah, I, I saw that on TV. I was like, what? Yeah. 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 Every second that you're working and they were complaining because they're like, this is a giant building and you know, on our, our bathroom breaks or a break or whatever, we have to walk like all the way across this giant building to get to the break room or the restroom. By the time we get there, we don't even have that much time. Then we got to come all the way back. So you have to factor in that travel time. So really they're not getting the breaks that they need. And then, you know, they're just, you, you got to be hustling the whole time. And so they were just trying to advocate for, you know, they're just trying to have a voice basically and say like, you know, this, this isn't working. These kind of work conditions don't make any sense. We need to have, you know, different types of breaks or maybe a different work setup. This time on task is ridiculous. We're not machines. And so they were going to try to unionize and they needed like 30% of the votes and out of 5,000 people in the, in the, working at Amazon in that place at that time, they had 3000 workers sign the union cards in favor of a union. <clears throat> but as they were doing all that, drumming up all the support, Amazon hired this consulting firm to come in and basically union bust, which is illegal, but they find ways around it. So they, I don't, they paid this, uh, these people, let me see, I gotta look up these things, it's crazy. So they hired a union avoidance consultant to specialize in persuading workers to vote against the union and in coaching supervisors on how to throttle support. And then they brought in at least two union avoidance consulting firms, according to disclosures filed with the Labor Department. One firm's filing said consultants would be paid $3,200 a piece per day to conduct meetings and other like union busting type of moves. So $3,200 a day. And these are, and most of the time, um, research has shown that these are effective. And, you know, to me, it seems 
like Amazon picks places to put their their you know warehouses where they know workers aren't maybe educated about unions or they're disadvantaged they can buy them out you know they could scare them into because they're paying they're paying 15 bucks an hour in, in a place where the minimum wage is seven so yeah it's a good deal those are usually in the south yeah and you know so anyway they did the consulting firms they um illegally got the post office to put um, a ballot box on Amazon property. They changed the light, the traffic lights. So what people were meeting at the traffic lights outside of the warehouse, they changed those lights to be shorter so that people wouldn't have enough time to talk at the traffic light. I mean, they did like so many shady things that it was crazy. And, and at the end, what all that resulted in was um, only 738 workers voted in favor of unionizing and with 1,700 in opposition. Mm. So what happened to all those workers? Oh, so what happened to all the workers, that was another crazy thing, is that Amazon has such a high turnover rate. They didn't that, care. Yeah, well, they were losing the votes that they had. They were losing like 60 workers a week. Because it's a revolving door. Yeah. So one of the union reps was like, you know, it's really hard to get support at these types of places because of the turnover rate. You know, like you you really need people to stay there um, during the unionizing effort. Yeah, and be vested in their positions and in what they do. Because if you don't have that. Yeah. Yeah, your retention rate goes way down. Yeah, so th these companies like Amazon, all these people that are getting so rich so quickly, you know, yeah. they have it set up to, you know, really take away power from the workers. And I mean, I don't know if they create crappy work environments on purpose so they have a revolving door of workers. I mean, that doesn't make any sense because you know it's expensive to hire and train new workers and yet they continue with these practices so or, I don't think they care or it could be sort of a um a scenario where they look at it what costs more um dealing with all this stuff and unions and or retraining a worker having low retention because they're a huge, huge corporation with billions and billions and billions of dollars at hand. And I'm wondering if it just is like, so who cares? It costs us less to have someone else just come in here, retrain them for a week mm -hmm. or three or four days, cost less. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you're doing unskilled work, like you're just scanning boxes pretty oh, much yeah. and just carrying stuff. Right. Because how long does it take to teach someone to scan boxes and stuff? Yeah. I did see a thing, though. They did change their time off tax policy uh, like last week, saying that they were going to extend it. So something, I guess, maybe good happened. I don't know if they'll actually enforce it. So we'll see. And they didn't say anything about 
like how long that they were going to extend it for. Um, but I'm sure it was just something to kind of, you know, they got caught and something just kind of to appease the public a little bit for the meantime until he kind of wears off. Well, yeah, because they have a PR problem as well, right? You know, that they, they, you know, they have to keep um, somewhat of a good face in, in, in the community that they're in and serve that somewhat, I mean, you know, you can't, can't keep it all good, but, you know, they have PR problems. There, there's people I know that just refuse to have Amazon Prime right unfortunately i'm not one of them i mean <laughs> i really don't think that that is those people is not a big enough number that it's going to impact anything so i don't think amazon they don't really care about their pr status because people are going to order stuff off of prime either way like i it's so convenient for me that i don't yeah, know there's no way that i wouldn't stop using amazon honestly yeah, I mean, but I'm just using that as an example. I don't care how big you get. At some point when you start doing a whole bunch of crappy stuff, you're going to have a PR problem. And Amazon is no different. They, you know, what goes up must come down. High goes to low real quick, like public opinion. <laughs> you know, you, you, you can get so big that your bubble bursts. And then you have a PR problem. They're not, they're, they're not any different from any other large corporation. Right now they may be because Gabe's right. I'm not giving up my Amazon Prime for nothing. That's <laughs> just not, you know, I just use Amazon way too much. Um, but the bulk of my usage of that came during COVID, right? So once everybody is able to go out and shop and go to physical places again, including me, that my usage of Amazon is going to go down, you know, so they have to look at that as well. You know, COVID had a lot to do with their, their rise in Amazon usage. I didn't use Amazon Prime all that much before COVID. Then when COVID hit, I was using it all the time. I was running into the garbage receptacles out there every day cutting up boxes from stuff shipped here and you know delivered here <laughs> but not before covid i wasn't you know unfortunately because we've had the biggest transfer of wealth in history as a result of this pandemic all these corporations have set themselves up to be even more indispensable and all the small mom and pop shops have had to close because they couldn't they couldn't keep up so now who's yeah. gonna fill who's gonna fill that gap yeah somebody they're, has to. they're just going to get more powerful and really you know we always think that the vote with your dollar they always tell you vote with your dollar and i personally don't feel that way i think it's the workers who can call the shots you know if the workers speak up and if the workers you know organize and ask for you know specific things or make a stink or do something to you know like you said bad PR they can change things better than 
the consumers could because the consumers most likely won't anyway no yeah because like gabe's right in that respect very very unlikely that consumers are gonna well we used to live in a world where that wasn't true consumers had all the called the shots but Mm -hmm. that just isn't true anymore um for the most part and covid helped had a huge helping hand in that because now i've gotten you, you know so used to using amazon even you know just even just going to the grocery store i get I go, I just shop at Whole Foods off of Amazon Prime and have it delivered here. As long as I buy over $35 worth of groceries, which ain't hard to do, I get free delivery. And so, you know, why? And I, and I get to pick and choose what I want without using gas or walking to the store and lugging groceries back and all that stuff. It's just like the convenience of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I think we're all kind of backed into a pretty crazy corner at yeah. the moment. And all we can hope, I mean, I think we definitely need to remember the people's power when we organize and when we unite. And we need to ensure that we don't stop doing that ever because that's the only thing that keeps somewhat not even a lot not even a little bit i would say but at least somewhat keeps these corporations and these powers that be in check a little bit yeah the change of policy and legislation Mm -hmm. because otherwise we'll be overrun really quick which i think is happening because the 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 people you know in this country they're not voting as much they're not organizing as much they're not really, they're just become complacent. They're, we're all on our phones. You know, we don't get out into the world. We don't talk to each other. It's just, yeah, we're setting ourselves up to be taken advantage of. Easily, yeah. And it's not just us. You know, the more westernized a lot of other countries, even Western countries, westernized to the point of, of the United States, right? The more westernized countries get the 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 worse off <laughs> it's going to be because they're just they're following in our footsteps and we're already going down a slippery slope. Mhm. Yeah. So I mean at this point, you know, I just hope that our corporate overlords recognize that you got to keep your workers happy. You got to keep the consumers happy. You got to give us a little bit so that we continue buying and working. So hopefully they have hired psychologists yeah. <laughs> on board and they're like, here's what we got to give them to keep them happy, keep them working, keep them buying. Yeah. Well, and not, not just psychologists too, sociologists um that understand social behavior as well as psychological behavior right Mm -hmm. because you you have to i mean i hate to say this no i don't hate to say this but really we're all three of us are in a pretty good position because the the more stuff that happens in this world the more we need social services um psychologists, sociologists to understand what we're dealing with and how to address it. 
Um, and so we're all three of us are pretty lucky to actually be in um, a, a kind of bio cycle social kind of situation um, with our jobs anyway at least we I mean we didn't lose our jobs through the pandemic because there were too many social services that needed addressing mm -hmm. um, but one thing I think is interesting um, the use of office space right because some of these some of these large corporations have learned we can where they can really trim the fat and after a year or more of people working at home they found out you know people can just work at home what are we using what are we paying all these you know millions of dollars for for office space for people to sit in an office right mm -hmm. And so it's affecting the real estate market, the rental market, all that stuff too. Because um, I know um, I read some articles about, you know, a lot of companies readjusting their priorities and office space was not one of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as workers don't come back to work, <laughs> they're like, screw this, I don't yeah. want to work at that job making pennies yeah yeah you've had time to sit back and reevaluate your whole situation mm -hmm. and people oh, or, yeah and, or, and make more money off of unemployment than you do working yeah yeah that too mm -hmm. yeah. or they or you know because before we got over sort of this hump because of the vaccination people were like I'm not going into an office like that and putting myself in jeopardy to work in that type of environment when I'm putting my, I might be putting my life on the line or at least my health in general, you know, mm -hmm. so I, you know, in some instances, I just think, you know, that, you know, these companies are learning to redirect their, their um, funds their money different ways and um, reevaluating because of COVID. And so those ballooned and inflated CEO, <laughs> um, you know, salaries, I don't think are going to change because they, like I said, they've learned where to trim some fat because of COVID. Oh, yeah. And they've set themselves up to be, you know, like Amazon has been branching out into a bunch of different areas and I think a lot of companies that were set up to do so did that exact thing and yeah. so pretty soon the power is only going to be in a few I mean it has been that way but I think it's gotten even worse over the pandemic and uh yeah they've set themselves up to win big time Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. So who, who knows what it's gonna, there's gonna be some crazy stuff happening though. Like when the moratoriums end, when, you know, like how are we gonna get workers to go back to work? Like all these crazy things are going down. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of, I, a lot of the states are starting to, are saying, nope, we're cutting that additional unemployment um, funding off. Mm -hmm. there's 
um, quite a few states that are jumping on board with that now as these moratoriums and they're cutting off the, the that um, supplemental um, money added to unemployment, which mm -hmm. I don't know, I guess they think that's an incentive to go back to work. I saw that some states were offering like incentive bonuses, like 500 bucks or a thousand bucks to go get a job. Yeah. But, but, you know, that, what do you, do you know anything about, um, are there unions that for like workers that work in daycare and things like that? I never even thought about that. I just did just now. Like any kind of childcare worker unions or I don't I, even think they have one. I can't imagine that there are just because we have such a shortage of childcare in this country. Yeah. Yeah. Like, would there even be enough to unionize? Yeah. I would say that would be a big negative effect of raising a minimum wage is because then you're gonna increase childcare costs. And that's going to make it hard for a lot of people. Oh, their childcare is ridiculously expensive now, you know. But I, I'm just kind of thinking of it because of people who are on unemployment now who are struggling to pay their their childcare because it was a huge amount of their pay. Um, they're just looking at like, well, I can stay home with my kids and collect unemployment and and I don't have to struggle like that with childcare costs. So that's another thing too, you know. Well, didn't Biden just put something in his like tax plan? Didn't something about it involve childcare? Uh, I hope so, but I don't I don't know. It was like the one I think it was like one point eight his trillion dollar thing. I think like around 200 billion or something went over towards childcare or something like that. Oh, good. So like low income families can cover their childcare expenses or something like that. So I think that's one good thing about his tax plan because I think that's something that prevents a lot of people from even going to find a job or even working because they have these kids or they're, you know, our clients, especially, you know, single parents, you know, that's always a big thing is, you know, when I ask, are you working? They oftentimes say no, because I don't have childcare or can't afford it yeah. or different things like that. And then that just trickles down to everything else, becoming homeless, you know, experiencing domestic, domestic violence, going back to your abusive relationship, you know, different things like that. So there's a lot of secondary effects to that for sure. Oh, yeah. This is all interconnected. Every single thing we do and buy, where we live, how we live our lives, it's just all connected. Because if it's the first thing I learned in, in grad school um, was, this is like social work 101. Wherever a problem is taken care of, you create another problem. Whenever you take care of one thing, you could create a problem somewhere else. It's never just you take care of this problem, now it's taken care of, and then we can write that off. No, you gotta look behind and see where in taking care of that problem, did you create another issue? Because it always happens. Or it's like, 
our focus in the West, especially, is always on symptoms instead of what's causing right this problem to begin with. And let's address that. Right. We're always reactive instead of proactive. And that is can nowhere be better seen than in the government and governmental programs and policies and stuff. Well, and as we're seeing now, you know, we have a lot of special interest groups voicing their opinions and being really loud, but they don't necessarily represent the common interests of everyone. Right. What would benefit, like they're getting stuff done and they're getting what they want, but it's like, you're, you're a small percentage of the population. Like what if we all united and asked to get our common needs met? Like then obviously, because we see it happening for special interest groups, but you know, I think a lot of the major issues in our country aren't going to be addressed because you don't have just the regular person asking for what they need. Yeah. Too busy working, they're too busy, whatever. Yeah, I think the last time that was done was during um, FDR's presidency with the New Deal, with mm-hmm. new bridges and roads, all the... Um, infrastructure that was needed and that created millions of jobs across the country after the the great depression i think that's the last time we saw that happen but i think biden is is trying to do something like that with um creating jobs with um dealing with our infrastructure so we'll see what happens (laughs) i mean it it would it would make sense for these, you know, corporations and our government to, you know, improve our infrastructure. And that should include childcare. It should include for the baby boomers that are retiring and are going to be in these homes. It should include all the things that are in there and education and workers rights and pensions should come back and living yeah. and well, yeah you're living in a dream world that probably will never exist because our government doesn't know how to handle it and that costs a lot of money and where's all that coming from so yeah i don't yeah. know but i think this was a really good conversation i think we learned a lot and hope all of our listeners hopefully you got um, something you know that you gained from this um, and I just want to thank you for listening to this episode of confabulation and if you enjoyed this episode don't forget to leave us a comment um, or a rating or review um, on our channel um, and just remember that if you or any of your loved ones are experiencing domestic violence our advocates are here ready to assist you and you can contact us through our website at our sistershouse.com or by phone at 253-383-4275. Hope to see you on the next episode of Confabulation.